This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast. I'm Giles Poe Phillips, and with me today in Chesham is Jim Daw Daly. Hello to you. I say Daw Daly because that is your is that is that your official full name? Um, it's Facebook official. Okay. Is that, well, that official? It's not, yeah, it's not yeah, legal, yeah. but you know we are. So you're yes. not no no because I've, I've I've got a friend who did take on his wife's name, mm. so they've gone double I've barrel. Got a friend. I've got a friend that took his wife's name over his. Why? That's interesting. Yeah. Which actually was, in a way, almost the inspiration for Miranda and I uh, mixing our names. But we we always wanted to to just double barrel and share the same name. Um, our names are quite similar, Daw Daly. So, so on I your, think, I think it works. So on the wedding registrar, you're Daw Daly, are you? I think we are. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you better check. Remember. I don't know. I what about it. your bank? So your bank cards? You no, do bank. We're still separate. But we are ah, going okay, to do. Yeah. We are going to do all that. But we're also we're not very good at admin. So we're, we're no, not admin people. My so. wife is excellent at admin. Excellent. Mm, it's a good skill. Yeah. It's a good skill. Well, her mum worked in banking, and mm. so it's kind of been passed down. So she does all the banking and everything, and is very on, on the ball with all that kind of stuff. So mm. yeah. So anything like that is all. I mean, I think yeah. I mean, I didn't have to. I, all the kind of ch- I mean, obviously she had to change her name to mine when we got mm. married, but she was all hot, really hot and all that stuff. We this will is do it. Incredibly boring. For our it's so here. boring. Why are we talking about this? Um, <sighs> anyway, <laughs> this is the gold that the, lis- the listeners really tune into. They don't want to hear Mark Como talking about music or films. They want to hear us talking about want, yeah our wedding statements. certificates. <laughs> anyway. Uh. Well, this is why people continue to listen to us and our subscriber mm. numbers go up and up and up because, Indeed. you know, they want to hear real stories, real life. Indeed. It's like Indeed. Um, EastEnders or something. 
It's very similar. I've always said that. Mm. that this, the top and tails with the East Enders very podcasts. similar to <laughs> you slag. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, how are you? I'm <laughs> good. I'm good. I'm very good indeed. Um, nights are getting shorter. Well, this is our cold. first. <laughs> I've realised this is our first evening podcast recording of blank. I mean, we've been. You and I did a podcast recently where we were on it as guests and that was mm. in the evening but this is our first i think this is our first evening recording it is and um i like evening recordings because it means i don't have to put my baby to sleep i get to avoid bedtime oh, so that's yeah um, if we could do more of that that'd be how good. is your great. baby going to sleep she's actually she's she's great actually she's actually really good she's she's, good. she's just turned one so she's i think she's got into the sweet spot possibly for um getting down for naps and sleeping um she is She's a pickle in the afternoon. The afternoon she goes a little Pickersly. bit mad, but um, the rest of the time mm. she's she's absolutely she's an angel, really. Yeah, she's great. Oh, well, no good. complaints, no complaints. That's great, man. It's great. That's the worst thing is the lack of sleep. Yeah, and if you can get into a routine, that's perfect. But yeah, that's good. Then, what are you up to? How you doing? Um, I it's been quite a quiet week, I have to say here. Down in sunny Sussex, the sun has gone. Actually, I'm saying sunny, sunny Sussex. It's actually Sussex. been raining quite a lot, quite heavily, in fact. Um, got very wet on the school run, so back into doing school <laughs> runs and things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just the kind of normal stuff again, really, as we sort of head into this brave new world. And you know, it's not, it's not gonna be that long till Christmas. Oh, don't say that. Come on. How many days will September. it be? September. I say September. <laughs> We're recording this in September. It's probably going to come out later, but um, yeah, it'll be October. Yeah, it's not long. It's not long. We bonfire night soon, and then it'll be the countdown to Christmas. We're going to. I, mean, I guess bonfire night's cancelled this year. Yeah, Christmas. Well, Christmas in lockdown. Yeah, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? Mm. Listen, shall we not talk about depressing things? Oh, shall I we, think we should talk about upbeat things? Yeah, like our like guest this week, amazing guest. Sorry, Jim, I have to say that uh, our guest today is Mark Commode, who I'm a huge fan of. I'm going to say it in that weird voice because uh, <laughs> I mean it, a huge fan of his work. Uh, I, I've i been listening to Wittertainment, his Radio 5 live uh, movie show with Simon Mayo for many, many years. And actually probably one of those podcasts that I thought, oh, I'd really like to make a podcast. Yeah, it's... um. I'm, I'm, he, he's going to hate me for saying this, but I'm going to use the word legend. Mm. And I don't think that's unfair at all. He is an absolute legend. And that podcast is legendary as well. And I think he's just a powerhouse when it comes to what he does. Yeah, but it's really interesting on this episode that he talks about, actually, he has so much self-doubt. Mm. And I think most people listening, and you and I would have thought, well, this is someone who's just such an expert and a legend. And actually... It couldn't be further from the truth. It's fascinating. And we get this a lot on our podcast, to hear people of that stature talking so honestly yeah. about this kind of thing. Honestly, it was it's a really, really honest and open episode, this one. Yeah, really honest. And it was so lovely of Mark to be so candid with us. I, I'd never heard him talk about any of that before. You know, kind of, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast before when it comes up is the imposter syndrome. And, you know, a yeah. few guests come up and I, I'm I'm a sufferer myself. I've talked about it myself and uh, and obviously Mark alludes to that and, and, and actually said about it so I think 
it was yeah really really lovely for him to sort of open up about that sort of stuff which again like we say wouldn't necessarily be associated with him because he's so good at what he does indeed indeed and it, it's it's i did find it all fascinating um and i think giles we should just dip into it we're, we're so good at teasing people aren't we in these parts but or what well, we, we could do is read yeah. a tweet out <laughs> um and then tweet. go into it yeah i think let's let's do that let's, i mean let's roll yeah. let's let's rewind slightly before we go okay. into it and let's read out some lovely tweets from our listeners we've got right. i've got one here from robin blamiers oh and he says have just had to pause the blank pod with susie ruffle just to take in her thoughts on the things that should be taught at secondary school very much nailed mm. yes it was great episode, actually with Susie. It? yeah she did a, say yeah. some lots of lots of really interesting stuff and uh yeah what a great guest she was Susie is very on the ball. She's very sort of tuned into those kind of things. Mm, that's absolutely. what makes her such a good comedian as well. She just, she gets it. She gets it. Um, and someone else who does as well, mm. or two people. Uh, one, Richard Astill, who has tweeted us saying, Today I woke up feeling anxious, but made myself go out for a walk around hashtag Fairlands, hashtag Stevenage. I'm so glad I did. Enjoying the fresh air, scenery, and I ran into some friends. Lovely. The soundtrack to my walk was Blank Pod with Dr. Rada Mogil. So encouraging and inspiring. Have a great day. And then, what a lovely tweet. He's also included a photo of a very pretty and colourful plant. And I want to say those... Oh, what, now, what you have flower no is idea that, what Giles? it is. That is, that is those little... Let's see if I can describe it to you. Berries. They're very t- they're small berries. Greek Green plant. Small red berries they have a name i'm gonna try and find sure out they do have the, a name but for the end of the podcast what they're called anyway it's a, it's a wonderful photo and thank you richard for uh that lovely tweet um, it's a, nice I've to know that we... now. Yeah, it's a lovely photo that's really nice and what colorful those... and bright what are i have they? no idea i'm oh, not very good. good with horticulture no me neither me neither, me neither. So, anyway yeah, to get an expert on maybe this doesn't really work on um audio does it um nah, anyway l- let's <laughs> thank you for those tweets we really appreciate it and you can tweet us at blank pod um if you're enjoying a particular episode we'd love to hear it but for now speaking of an enjoyable episode let's go in to this one today it is with the legend that is mark commode on the blank pod <laughs> Well, I mean, the, I mean, the one thing that's happened with lockdown is that everybody now understands how to how to use the technology in a way that nobody ever did before. So it, it, that has really changed things. You know, we, I've been broadcast. I'm sitting in my, you know, my shoe cupboard and I've we've been broadcasting for, for six months now. So, so even even a Luddite like me is I mean, obviously, I've been doing podcasts for ages, but actually having to sort of self up and everything. It's a whole new thing. Anyway, anyway. Have you found that? Have you have you enjoyed that aspect of things? Uh, have I enjoyed... Well... <laughs> the technology, you know, learning about it. Um, well, it... Huh, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally very technophobic. I, I'm, you know, if I, te- if I stand next to any kind of piece of machinery, it will al- al- almost immediately break down. And so I'm kind of, you know, I, I've, I've been sort of quite, quite, quite hands... I've got a, I'm working on a very old laptop... Which is full of, you know, I, 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 it needs to be renewed. This is the micro, and you can see this is like literally held together with gaffer tape and and string. I like it. Also, it's balanced on 
this is a present from somebody he says this is a cinemascope lens so it's, it's oh right yeah so it's it's a microphone gaffer tape to the top of a cinemascope <laughs> lens um and then held together with you know spit and glue so that i mean that's fine because i was always a bodger so that kind of makes me feel at home but anything kind of complicated we should, this is when we did the the, when Simon Mayo and I did the TV show, we shot it from this was mm. the room that I was in. I mean, you, you're on a Zoom. Yeah, yeah, I remember, you, yeah. Can, you can see this is literally it. This is the room. It's, you know, in the words of Roberto Benigni, it's not enough room to swing a cat. And, so, <laughs> and then we had like two cameras in here and they, you know, they the, the rigs. And of course, they weren't allowed to come in. They of just course, brought the yeah. stuff outside. And then my son had to you know learn everything from scratch because he's a he was a teenager so of course he learned it in about five seconds yeah yeah yeah. two camera rig in here and everything i just i just very hands off with all of that but it has been odd but um yeah yes it's it's managed to get it done so and and of course actually it is worth saying that as you'll know i mean journalists particularly freelance journalists have had a really really hard time of lockdown Mm. so if you've if you know if you've managed to keep working then you have absolutely nothing to complain about that doesn't mean i won't oh, doesn't mean i won't complain but it means <laughs> no, i have nothing no, but... to complain about yeah no absolutely i agree um it is it's, it's strange it is strange and uh, and obviously you know we might be heading into more strangeness but we'll have to wait and see but i think in some respects i've i've quite enjoyed this process actually learning to work in a remote way I don't know about you, Jim. I don't know if you um, found that as well. Well, it kept me alive. It kept food on the table. So that's obviously, you know, that's <laughs> decent. Um, it has been interesting. Do, do you think, Mark, it will, this process of people being at home doing their own things will change the broadcast industry or, or multiple industries in any way going forward? I think it has changed it already um, because, I mean, it always used to be the case that there was there was a slight sniffiness about broadcasting from home. I know that people have had, you know, had studios in their homes and that's always been considered to be sort of like a bit of a, you know, like a privilege. Oh, wow. They're broadcasting from home. But because of, because this is now however many months it is and so many people have had to do it, it has become, it's that phrase I hate the new law. <laughs> yeah. Says. But, yeah, yeah. But what it has demonstrated is that you can do it. I mean, the thing I'm weirdly technologically most proud of is for, I think about two or three weeks after lockdown began, I do this thing on the BBC, on the BBC News Channel, which is the the News Channel film review. And usually, when I, if I'm in the BBC, that's me and Jane Hill, and before that was Gavin Esler, you know, in a studio talking live about three or four releases, 12 minutes long, okay? When lockdown happened, the first thing that happened was that programme got cancelled. Mm-hmm. And then we said, look, is there a way that we could do it from home? okay fine so when you do it from home it's a different thing because you have to write a you know it's a it's an authored piece it's like you know it's 13 minutes long however long it is Mm. that's different to just having a conversation like if you and i are talking now that's one thing we've had to sit down Mm. and write this it's kind of complicated but actually the most complicated thing was how do we film it so what we did was my son who has an iphone um he said, okay, well, I can film it. He said, I can film it on an iPhone. The iPhones now have got 4K resolution, apparently. Wow, no, it's ridiculous, isn't it? So what we did was, and I mean, this sounds nuts, right? I'm in the room that we're in here. Next door to this is the kitchen. And the kitchen's got a white wall, as many kitchens do. I mean, everything else is cut. There is a white wall. So we figured out a way I could sit with a white wall behind, and my son could put this his his iphone on a tripod that was balanced on i'm not making this up on an auto on a biography of orson wells <laughs> and a book about hodorowsky and you know all held together with string and glue right and then we recorded the sound actually funny enough like i'm recording the sound now but with the microphone out mm. of shot 
So the, the the sound is being, and we made made this thing. And then uh, Nick, who I work with on everything since um, the Fear of God, all the television stuff, we'd send all the files because the internet speed where I live is terrible because I'm out on the end of a track. My son would have to get into a car, drive into the village, park outside. <laughs> the house of a friend of ours couldn't go in because everyone's isolating yeah. pick up his internet because he's in the village he's got fast internet well we haven't we're out on the track sit there for two hours with a laptop <laughs> uploading the wow. footage that nick in london would then send to an editor they would record and then it would go out on friday and you look at it and you go that looks like a very professional <laughs> tv program and it is literally shot in what i've been referring to as kitchen vision it is shot on my son's iphone balanced on a tripod balanced on a biography <laughs> of orson wells and yet some so you know the feeling was kind of oh well well you know what that's actually pretty good that's actually pretty good because the devastating blow is that my son has now gone to college so i'm now without a camera ah. so I, you know so i'm now stuck <laughs> So we'll see what happens from here on in. But yeah, I have, and I did enjoy that because I, I enjoy the, I just enjoy the kind of the DIY mm. thing of it. Because mm. um, one of the things that we were talking about very briefly was, you know, because I, I wrote this book about being in bands and the whole of the first section of the book is about building an electric guitar. When I was... Well, I was going to ask you about yeah, that, actually. So this is where I came into it. I, I'm terrible at uh, DIY, but when I was at school, I, you know, they had a practical design uh, lab and uh, I got a, there's a magazine called Everyday Electronics, and it was how you could build an electric guitar for under 30 quid. And I did, and it took two We'd years. You'd never be able to buy one for that. <laughs> no, you know, back then it was... Yeah. You know, so anyway, so I, so I built an electric guitar from scratch. Everything on the guitar I built, except for the machine heads, obviously. Um, and um, and I, it took me two years, and it should have taken two months, but it took me two years. But during the course of that, I did develop a real love for bodging things. <laughs> And I remember there was a friend of mine called Dave at school. He said, Maxim, which was, if a job's worth doing, it's worth bodging. And that has kind of been my <laughs> my sort of Maxim. So, like, the fact that I'm now surrounded by all this kipple that is held together with, like, literally bits of gaffer tape. Like, you know, this is never go anywhere without a big reel of oh, know, gaffer yes, tape. Well, it's everyone's friend. You being a musician, um, I mean, yeah, when I used to gig more, I don't gig so much these days, but... You'd always have gaffer tape. It was oh, yeah. just an essential thing. Yeah. You know, you're um, gaffering down the leads so they don't fall out of everywhere. You don't trip over them. Gaffering down your set lists. Ga well, gaffering everything. Gaffering everything. <laughs> and of course, yeah. what, and, and there was always that thing about at the end of the evening, there'd be, whose roll of gaffer is this? I'll have it. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> yeah. and it, 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 people would say it really quietly. Whose roll of gaffer is this? Yeah. I, did, I did check, you know, and you know that if there was a, if there was a proper PA company, they turn up with like with one of those things, you know, like a bit of string with five rolls of gaffer on it. Yeah, they're not yeah. going to miss one, are they? It was just no, exactly. You know, so anyway, yeah, nothing that couldn't be fixed with a bit of gaffer tape. Exactly, black gaffer or silver gaffer though, because we black used to gaffer. always have silver black gaffer. gaffer. <laughs> always black, black gaffer. Okay. No, 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 no. It's black gaffer is for your know, silver gaffer is for marking things out. Black gaffer, which is is is, is for holding things down. So what? Yeah, silver gaffer is for marking things. It's sil why would you? Yeah, Come on, no, Giles. No. Yeah, come on, John. Well, I, think that, I, th I don't know if silver gaffer was cheaper because we seemed to always have silver gaffer. I think it was our drummer had the gaffer. He always had the supply of gaffer tape. Yeah, well, that's... and I think he used to. Yeah, he used to mark out um, if where his drum, where his drum stands were on his bass drum. So when he was obviously when he was hitting it, yeah. to make sure it wasn't going yeah, too that's far right, yes. forward. Silver gaffer is for yeah, marking. Yeah, you proved the point. <laughs> you, you literally, ju literally well, just have, proved the point. Well, you but know. we did use we. I used to use his gaffer as well. Okay, yeah. so uh, <laughs> how do you know when there's a drummer at your door? Knocks three times, comes in late. <laughs> Excellent. 
<laughs> now, Mark, you were born in Barnet, right? Yeah. Well, you're, yes. I mean, I was born in. Um, I was born in. I think I was born in the in the Royal Free. Uh, but yes, I grew up in. in, in so I I lived yeah. in. Um, uh, Finchley, East Finchley, North Finchley, and then Tottery, Whetstone. Um, mm. So yeah, so all in. I, I mean, we, we kind of worked our way up the Great North Road. That was that was the weird thing. But I was I was up in in North London, on the end of the Northern Line. So we went from being Finchley Central to East Finchley to to High Barnet. So it was. I've always said it's it's all all the disadvantages of being in London with none of the advantages because <laughs> it, it, it took an hour to get into London. You thought you might as well live somewhere nice, but no, we were in Barnet. I mean, I had a very happy childhood and everything, but we did live in Barnet. Yeah. yeah. Because you're North, you, oh, you're Cheshire, aren't you, Jim? So you're. Oh, he's gone. Look, Me, Jim, you're Cheshire. Sorry, I aren't know. You? I'm Cheshire. Yeah, so that's end of the Met line. So did you drop? Did you fall asleep, Jim? <laughs> and you talk about North London. <laughs> you literally look like we just, like we just woke you up. <laughs> um, I've, I think I might have worse internet than you, actually, Mark. So uh, in the uh, in the bad internet stakes, I think I'm winning that. Oh wow! Um, okay. I think I think it's great that we're having competitions. Who's got the worst internet connectivity? <laughs> Mine's great, so I'm really very good. Yeah, your your picture is crystal clear, Giles. That's great. Good, good. Yeah, more well on Giles. Um, but yeah, no, we're in we're in Chesham in Buckinghamshire, so that is end of end of the Met Line. So, um, which isn't isn't even London, although I, I claim it is because it's got a tube station. But um, no, it, it's pretty far out. Yeah, well, I keep I keep getting told that the place that I grew up wasn't London. In fact, I had a I had a thing with this, with, the, with the Observer recently. They said no, no, you it's not London. It's um. It's Hertfordshire or something, is it? No, it's it's within the M25. I think if it's, I think if anyway, it's within yeah. the M25, it's London, and if it's got a tube station, it's semi-London. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you very much. So yes, yeah, so I grew up in North London, <laughs> although apparently technically I didn't. You know, so. yeah. I mean, we normally ask about school. What was school like? Were you were you into school? Were you academic? No, um, no. I mean, I I was. Uh, I mean, I've I've written about this to some extent, but I was I. I uh, I, I was never a very academic high achiever. I'm, and I'm not just saying. I should say this at the beginning, which is that um, I, when I wrote, a, I wrote a book some time ago, and um, it was very badly reviewed by Will Self, which is fine. But one of the things he said was, you know, oh, he just, he's, you know, all this self-deprecation, uh, which is all completely phony, because obviously it's just a way of covering up, you know, innate arrogance. It really isn't. I really don't have much faith in my own abilities, um, but that's fine. Um, so I wasn't an academic uh, high achiever. I did okay in in uh, primary school. I took an entrance exam to get a what then used to be called um, a direct grant free place to um, Haberdashers, which is where I went to, to school to secondary school. Didn't do very well at O levels, and then when I by the time I got to a levels i applied for uh university and i got five flat rejections like literally flat out rejection didn't get any offers from anywhere wow. at all so um so then i had to take a year well take a year out which was a good thing to do and then i ended up in manchester and then you know life kind of began but um no when i was at school i wasn't academically good i was rubbish at sport i was quite socially difficult um and awkward but it, that was fine because i did spend my entire childhood either the movies watching films which is the thing i love doing or playing in bands and in fact the thing i've always said is that my the you know the the friends that i made that i was in bands with at school i've stayed friends with pretty much for the for the rest of my life i mean i was just 
just this weekend I was with uh, you know, Simon Booth who I was in the basics with when we were in you know in school and you know Matt who I was in the bottlers with when you know many years later and I've always said that being in being in bands was like being in, in a gang you know it was like yeah. um, although you know not in a gang like you're not like the wanderers or something but um but that's how it felt. It, once you were in a band with somebody, it was like they were family, and they were family forever. And I've, you know, when I was writing How Does It Feel, which is about being in bands, I, I talk about this, and I know that it sounds um, sort of false and artificial, but it really isn't. My friend Nick, who was the drummer in The Basics, Nick wasn't a drummer, he was a piano player, but he was a brilliant piano player, and we needed a drummer. And I figured, how hard can drumming be? It is literally hitting things. And I figured if he could play the piano, he could play the drums. And, um, you know, he and I, you know, we bought our first Harringtons together, and Simon Booth, you know, was the first guy that I knew that had, you know, Doc Martins, all that stuff that, you know, that kind of stays with you. We were, effect that was, it was like being in a gang. So although I didn't have, you know, I didn't have many many friends. I had a a, hot, a very a group of friends who I was in a, in groups with, and that was mm. all. I, that was absolutely all I needed. And, and from the school's point of view, you know, I wasn't any good at sport. They were quite a sporty school. I wasn't academically good, and uh, they didn't. You know, so that so the school I think thought I was a bit of a lost cause, but. It was fine because I, what I did was I spent every spare minute either going to, to the cinema or playing in bands, and that was what I did, and that made me really happy. I was so I had a really, you know, actually a, a a very very happy childhood because those were the two things I wanted to do, and those were the two things I did. So I have no, I have no complaints about it at all. I mean, I was anxious and nervous and awkward and difficult and grumpy, and I probably behaved, you know. I was probably very, very hard to get on with. I mean, I've never been particularly easy company, to be honest. But um, but when I was in bands, it was fine. Mm -hmm. And I, as I said, I am still friends with those people I was in bands with. And if I ever hear from them, if something like, well, look, you know, Saul's off in America now, or you know, Simi somewhere else. I got a message from somebody who said, "Oh, my my uncle said that you were in bands. Who, Simi? You're, oh, yes, yeah, Simi. How's Simi? You know, it's like yeah. that's it. Yeah, that will never go away." Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I I played in bands from from sort of the age of sort of fifteen, sixteen, up to obviously still playing in one, and uh, yeah, it's it's been such a brilliant part of my life. I would never want to stop doing it, you know. I'd never want to give it up, and and yeah, there's lifelong friendships with people. It's just you know, that I guess you you you're making like minded people. I know we say this a lot now, you know, you're finding your tribe, but you know, actually, it's so true. Like you're actually finding those people that will you know get you well particularly particularly when you're at school because one yeah. of the things is, i mean i you know i was i was a you know i was pretty weedy and i got beaten up a couple of times and you know i was i've never i've never i've never actively been in a fight in my life i've been punched but i've never actively been in a fight i don't know how to fight i've never known how to fight um and and so you know if if, if you're and i was also when i was a kid um uh, I really very very bad acne um well I still have scars from it now um but of course when you're a teenager that's that can be a bit of a you know a bit mm -hmm. of a thing right so I was I was kind of quite I was a very awkward kid but with with once you're in bands and you talk to people like oh have you got that album you know somebody remember you know Simon bringing in the Clash albums and then somebody else bringing in the first television album Marky and then, you know that became the currency yeah. and that's the way that, to me that I've understood people being interested in football like for example i was in a band with dave Badil. dave Badil. well i was going to ask you about this mark yeah because okay, go on. um because dave david was on the podcast and he, oh, yeah, he yeah. said <laughs> he said that you're all in a band together and then one day yeah, yeah. 
you started a new band <laughs> oh, yeah. and he wasn't in it. Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> Is that true? Well, okay, so here's the thing. So Dave t- tells this story, and in fact, I, I include that story in How Does It Feel, despite the fact that I have yeah. no memory of it. What I, what I said was, <laughs> yeah. I have no memory of it happening, but it has the ring of truth about it. <laughs> okay, and uh, yeah. one of the things that I have discovered is, just because you remember something happening didn't mean it ha- doesn't mean it happened. And just because mm. you don't remember something happening doesn't mean that it <laughs> d- didn't. So anyway, so I, when I was... Because one of the things that I do, if I'm ever writing about stuff like that, I always get in touch with everyone that I have written about. If I name somebody mm. and they're identifiable, I'm not talking about if I'm writing about a filmmaker, but if I name somebody who's a, you know, but I get in touch with them and I make sure that they're all right with with what I've written because I kind of feel it's their life, you know. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's my recollection of their life, but I feel it's just, a, you know, it, that's the right. So I got in touch. One of the lovely things about doing How Does It Feel is I got in touch with everyone that I had been in bands with that I named in the book. Um, you know, Simon Blair, who I was in Bragg with, I hadn't seen Simon for years. And then we met up in the NFT and it was just, it was blissful because it was Simon, incidentally, when I was at school with him, this is another Simon, there's lots of Simons in this story. He was the other guy at school that built an electric guitar, the same as mine. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so I got in touch with with, uh, with Dave and I asked him about this thing with the spark plugs. I've, I keep getting messages from Dave at the moment because I've got up in up in my attic I've got some reel-to-reel tapes that we recorded with the spark plug. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, but I haven't got a reel-to-reel tape recorder. And I've been meaning to get the tapes transferred onto something that we can listen to. But, of course, during lockdown, I haven't been into yeah. London. Mm. And, in fact, I've just, got, I've just got a message from Dave today saying, is there any movement on those <laughs> tapes? And I keep saying, I know it sounds like I'm hiding them. I'm not. I just haven't been into London. Um, but, yeah, I've got... Cause Mark, I've, I, Mark I, I might know someone. In, you can help well wow okay fine when we finish text me the yeah give me the thing so anyway yeah 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 i've got a friend who's got a studio in eastbourne which is just down the road from which we recorded at and he's just bought a load of old um reel-to-reel right 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 so. well that's I, funny, I tried to buy a revox just you know a, a little while yeah. ago but then all this about it anyway so i've got tapes because i used I'm to it down <laughs> i used to i, I used to keep tapes and, I'm, and, I've, and I've, I've got one that i'm pretty sure is the spark plugs which is the band i was in with david deal um, recording in the music rooms at school and it must have been I suppose 76 there's a photograph of it that I include in the book um, but anyway the point about it was Dave Badir was always interested in football and I was always interested in in you know in band. he obviously he was interested in music as well but I never understood the the football thing but I do understand the band thing and I think that when I listen to him talk about football it's to me it's like okay that's what I think about bands you know i that that just obsessive you know you put two people who are in a band together in a room 40 years after they last gigged and they'll go do you remember that gig we did at oak house yeah do you remember that do you remember what what amp you're using you using the pv no you weren't using the pv you using the quad at that point oh yeah yeah and then phil had that bass that he just you know and it's it's uncanny how fast that stuff comes back i can't remember what day of the week it is but i can remember what lead (laughs) i was using you know with the with what guitar it's really really strange so yeah as i said to get back to the sorry long digression if dave says that (laughs) happened it happened i have no memory of it happening but it has the ring of truth about it well i I, he was quite sore i think (laughs) (laughs) i think it was a sore point for sure well i'm you know i'm 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 very sorry but i'm also i'm also self-aware enough to know that that sounds like exactly the kind of thing that might have happened yeah yeah 
Well, I think it's cool. I mean, I remember being in various different bands and you kind of move from one band to another. And, and, and we never had the heart to sort of kick people out of the band. So it, it didn't no, tend to also, be like, oh, the band split up. Also, <laughs> it, should be, it should be pointed out that Dave Badil then went on to be in a band called uh, Rim 101, who were infinitely better than any of the bands that we had been in. In fact, we played gigs together at the the Bernays Institute, I think. Is that Stan Moore? I think it was. And they were really good. They were really good. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, they play in time and in tune and quite fast, you know. Those are the little nuggets you were going for, wasn't Mm it? Oh, the drummer can play in (laughs) in time. Yeah, yeah. And and they've got got catchy (laughs) hooks. Their drummer's not seen it. That's the secret. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's such a nice time, though. I do. I, I, I have very fond memories of bands and being in bands. And and, and, and funny enough, I had a reunion recently with a few old bandmates over Zoom. One of our, our old bass player lives in um, Cambodia now. Right. So we, we got all got together. And it was just so lovely. Just to, again, like you say, reminisce about certain gigs, you know, that often the the bad gigs were were the ones we talked about yeah. but, but um, isn't that, that Charles that, that isn't that so nice the to beauty have that. of life and Mark you're right about the football thing so I, I, I'm I'm a big football fan and um, Charles and I support Crystal yeah. Palace and I'm right I, I couldn't tell you what day of the week it is but I could tell you the Palace lineup from a game against Bristol City in 1999 and subs and who scored yeah. and came on but it's these shared experience it's these shared experiences <laughs> that get us through life being able to yeah. share that with someone it's, it's just it, it's what humans do but also there is particularly at that you know there's a certain time in life when i mean i've been in bands you know throughout my life and actually I, you know i consider all of them to be sort of extended family. i know this sounds like a stupid maybe i do consider yeah, them all yeah, to be yeah. extended family, but extended family but mm. that thing about when you're 14 or 15 you know like the thing about harrington's i love harrington's i've always loved harrington's the first harrington i ever saw being worn was by, was by simon booth from the basics and I just thought, he, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Mm. And he was wearing, you know, straight leg or, you know, uh, maybe drainpipe uh, jeans, Levi's or something, and docks and a Harrington. And he just looked like rocking. And I just thought, that's what I want to look like. And I went uptown to go and buy a Harrington. But I didn't buy a black Harrington. I bought, a, you know, a beige Harrington. And then I found a green Harrington. And then I plucked up the courage to buy a red Harrington. I've now got more harrington's than than you can wave a stick at i you know and i this is like 40 years how many years later my harrington collection is ridiculous i mean it's just stupid because i don't throw them away um but that all came from the fact that there was a point when you know oh i did and then i think nick cooper then got himself a harrington and then i think harry had paul had one as as well and it, so, so that was said so that yeah. was it that was what you were the band that walked around wearing yeah. harrington's it it was it was a it was a it was a way of and that must be the same as wearing a football shirt that says you know Arsenal or Spurs whatever it is it's it gives you a sense of belonging to something absolutely yeah yeah and I, th- I think you're right Jim that shared experience is such a beautiful thing I mean do you, I mean obviously Mark you still play yeah I still um, play what, what yeah what so what led you to double bass because that is a a big instrument. Well, being, I mean, the, the honest truth of it is, is being a rubbish guitarist. So <laughs> okay. when I was, I was in Manchester and, uh, and I started playing, I always, I've always been interested in like, you know, blues and rockabilly and all that sort of stuff. I, um, and anyway, 
in the 80s the Railtown bottlers started long story again I talk about this in uh, in how does it feel at, probably at greater mm. length than anybody would probably want to know but the short version is we started as a busking band we were busking songs you know like Rock Island Line and that sort of stuff and we would make a certain amount of money busking and we, we actually ended up winning the International Street Entertainers of the Year Award and playing at the London Palladium wow, so nice. bizarrely wow. we, yeah bizarrely we, as, as, as busking bands go we were up there. we were up there. You know, there was one point in which we were described as the UK's premier, the UK's premier skiffle busking act in the northwest area, which is a very small <laughs> pond. I understand, but you know, but uh, I was a really ham-fisted, cack-handed guitarist. I always have been, and I, my, our washboard player Al described my my guitar playing as all the strings all the time, and that's that was what it was. And I would break strings. I would break so many of them that by the by the time we got to add up the money, you'd be paying for my guitar strings, and it was you know it was like any profit it was wiped out. And then one day we saw a band busking with a double bass and we just thought it was the coolest thing ever. It just looked so great. And Matt, who was the other guy, who was actually a proper guitarist, who was one of my closest friends, um, he said, you know, you should, why don't you, why don't you try the bass? And I said, I don't play the bass. He said, no, but it's got four strings, right? And also he said, and you know what? He said, listen to that band. And I was listening. He said, can you hear the bass? I said, no. He said, exactly. No one will know. So we went to, <laughs> we went to, to Johnny Roadhouse, which is a, it's still in Manchester on the, on the Oxford Road. And we got a secondhand, you know, ply bass for, for something like, I'm not making this, like 35 quid. Wow. And we, we bought it in the morning and we bust with it in the afternoon. And my fingers were so sore that I ended up, you know, you, you wrap micropore around your fingers. I ended up playing with yeah. a gardening glove. There are photographs <laughs> in the book of me playing with a gardening glove. But of course, what you realize is no one can hear you because it's unamplified. All they can hear is in the slapping thing. And it looks really cool. And if you go out on the street with a double bass, people kind of give you money just because they're impressed that you're bothered. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. and then taxi drivers would go, oh, that's a big fiddle. How'd you get that under your chin? But you wish you'd taken up the harmonica, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's fine. It's just, it's theatre. And so actually I was playing yeah. the double bass in public long before I could play the double bass. I still hold to this day that I'm, I'm a very, very, I'm, you know, I play slap bass anyway, so it's a kind of slightly mm. different thing, but I'm not musically, I've, I play loads of instruments very badly, but that's because I've always had this thing that you should, this, is, this sounds really, this sounds foolish, but this is my philosophy. You should not be frightened of musical instruments mm -hmm. because if the, the, the thing that holds most people back from playing something is an embarrassment um, about it not sounding good. Okay, I've never had that. I sound. I've never. It's never bothered me that I if I pick something up and I start playing it, it doesn't sound any good because I. I don't know. I just like. So, I've always had this thing about. And then we had this rule in the Dodge Brothers that if somebody buys you a musical instrument, like for a birthday, you have to play it at the next gig. And if the next oh, okay. gig, if the next gig is tomorrow, then tough. <laughs> So that's why, you know, things like the bagpipes, the theremin, the harmonica, all those things. Because, but I've, all, I've always had this thing that just don't be frightened of music. Don't be frightened of breaking them either because they're there to be broken. I mean, I've broken double basses in half. I mean, like literally, hang on, I'll show you if I reach behind here. This is the <laughs> neck that I snapped off one of our double basses while playing at the trolley stop in Hackney. I literally snapped Amazing. it off. You wow. See, just for your listeners who won't be able to see that, they, I just snapped it in half because I slapped it so hard the neck came off <laughs> and hit somebody in the front row. 
And that's gig over, I guess. You haven't got a spare yeah, no, that, double bass that, with you. No, that was the end of the gig. You don't bring a spare double <laughs> bass. But um, but I, you know, I, I have, I, I'm not, en- I'm not good at any musical instrument, but I'm adequately bad at many of them, and that's just because I do. I love musical instruments. I love that idea that you just grab anything and play it. And I, you know, I that's how you know playing the chromatic harmonica on stage at the uh, the you know the what's it called the the festival hall of you know the, with the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra. I couldn't play the bloody <laughs> chromatic harmonica, but you know, it, it, I my answer was always if somebody said, "Can you play a musical instrument?" I never said no. I say not yet. Mm. How long have you got? Yeah. You know, and you know, and I'll give like like down here. Like sorry, I'm in my chaotic. My chaotic okay so just right to hand all right this this is one of uh well now three chromatics that i've got the reason i've got three is because i broke two of them trying to get the, the thing together to play it the things like i still can't so i kind of figure if you can get away with one tune you can play it that that I mean, sounded like, good enough well, yeah, yeah, yeah it but, did. Um... <laughs> well, Mark, yeah, can you play better. out but the episode that... for us? Yeah. That'd be so cool if we had you on harmonica <laughs> playing out the episode. <laughs> I can, and if and if asked, I will. But you know, I can't really play that. But I played it on stage. I played it live on Radio Five with the BBC Concert Amazing. Orchestra. I played it on stage at the philharmonic with the whatever it was the royal phil or whatever they were and and i've played it on the soundtrack of good omens because david arnold really? needed a chromatic harmonica player and i was the only one he knew <laughs> that's amazing and and, and and the one thing that that goes to prove is it, it doesn't take talent it just takes enthusiasm up to a certain yeah. point i mean being a proper being <laughs> yeah. a proper musician is really hard but being being a give it a go musician is just it's just a matter of not being embarrassed by it. And actually, the, here's the one thing that's really strange. I have a lack of embarrassment about music that does not apply to any other. I was going to ask. Life. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask that too. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you sort of alluded to it earlier. I mean, it's 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 weird. It is really weird. Um, like when I well, as a journalist, you know. Um, I'm racked with insecurity and 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 worry and you know and I I funnily enough I I I said this thing I was the observer did a piece a while ago which is critics at home you know and um and because I'm the film critic for the observer I'm a film critic for the observer there are, there are three of us there's me and and went four and and guy and and Simran and anyway so uh so they said um you know how does it work and I said well here's how it usually works okay I see the film on a Monday or a Tuesday. I write the review on a Wednesday and I submit it at a midday Wednesday. And then I have to sign off any changes or corrections or anything by the end of Wednesday. And then between Thursday, Friday and Saturday, I have a rising panic attack about every single thing in that review that is wrong and that is mistaken. And I am convinced, and I'm not just saying this, I am convinced every week that the review will come out and it will be so bad that it will cause the newspaper to close down. And then Sunday comes and the newspaper comes out and 
so far that hasn't happened and then we start again the next week and i say so far that hasn't happened because i'm talking to you on a thursday so i'm now in the early stages of the rising okay. panic attack about what's going to happen on sunday and that's ne it's never going to go away it's really weird. It's like I go back and I check details and I check names and I check spelling. I'm very bad at spelling to the point that, you know, I've been told that I've got some kind of, and I'm not dyslexic, but um, when I look at words on a page, they, dan they dance around sometimes. It's really bizarre. Yeah. You know that, mm -hmm. that triangle thing, Paris in the the spring? You know, it's a thing where you look at this. You, you ever I think seen so, this? Yeah. It's like mm -hmm. a visual thing. You, you, it says Paris in the the spring. And they say, read it. And you say, it's Paris in the spring. They say, no, no, read what it says. And you say, it says Paris in the spring. They say, no, it doesn't. It says Paris in the, the spring. And you go, <gasps> okay, well, that that's how yeah. I feel about almost everything that I write. Anybody who is a writer will, well, I think most people who are writer will have this same feeling, which is that you write something and you check it and you write it and you check it and you write it and you check it. And then it goes off to print. And then you open the printed version and the mistake that you didn't see literally leaps out of mm, the page yeah. at you like a heat-seeking missile. I was once uh, at a magazine, uh, and the, I remember this so clearly. There's a, there's a phrase which, which applies. So it's the thing that you know that you don't know. Or as Danny Baker would say, everything you know is wrong. Okay, So what you do when you're writing things is you fact-check the things you don't know. You don't fact check the thing mm. you do know because you know yeah. it, right? That's the thing that's always yeah. wrong. I remember being at a magazine once and they were writing an article about Gandhi, the film Gandhi. And mm. there was a there was a long conversation about the correct way of referring to Gandhi. And there had been some controversy about Ben Kingsley playing him, but there was a whole... Anyway, they were having one of those kind of... You know how what da 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 da, and this they they had a discussion about it for like an hour or something, and they finally figured out you know, and then the magazine arrived, uh, whatever it was, a day or so later, and it literally I remember this so clearly. The magazine went boom on the table, and we looked at it, and this guy said, "That's not how you spell <gasps> Gandhi." <sighs> And of course, the thing no. that you don't see it, now in this particular story, it wasn't my story. It wasn't. But I remember being there and I remember that cold yeah. sweat, yeah. that flop sweat of, oh, no, <laughs> you know, the thing you don't see because it's right in mm. front of you. The now, one word I, you don't want to get wrong in that whole publication. Yeah, but also because it's the big, <laughs> it's the headline, right? It's, you know, yeah. it's the thing. Wow. So this is. This I have this absolute. I, it's, it's a, that's almost like a primal memory for me that happening, and I. So the thing that I find very very anxious making is writing things that then go into print. Like for example, if I write a book, I'll I'll pour over the proofs over and over and over again. I'll check and double check and triple check and check and obsess and worry. And if you speak to any publishers that I've worked with, you'll know that I'm a nightmare because, you know, as the thing's going to press, can you just check this? Can you change this on page two? And they have to go, Mark, no, it's finished. It's, you know, go, stop, leave it. Okay. But then when the book's finished, if they send me a copy of it, I have to hide it. I have to, I can't open it. I can't look at it. I literally can't look at it. I, I have to give it to my wife and say, hide this somewhere take it away from me i can't i can't have it in the same room as me 
And it's only sometime later, if it's all turned out to be okay, that I can then bear to look at it. But even now, I, you know, I just, that's the thing. And that gives me, I'm, even talking about it is giving me palpitations. That it's a kind of, and what's weird is, I know that to some extent, this is a, um, this is a practiced ritual. Mm. Yeah. You know, the whole thing about anxiety rituals, that, the, that there's a kind mm. of masochism involved in them. You're doing it on purpose. But I wish I didn't. I really wish that I could write something and then put it away. I really wish that I could write and then open it and be happy. I really wish that was the case. But I can't. It drives me nuts. Mm. And it's the absolute polar opposite of how I feel about music, which is that I will stand up on stage in front of a live broadcast and play an instrument I cannot play because fuck it. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah, that is exactly. so interesting. But is it is it because there's this one thing that you are really good at and you know you're good at it and it's the thing you're known for and then there's the other thing where you, you're okay at it but you play it for fun because there's less pressure, I guess, in a way? <sighs> You know, the the problem with agreeing with that statement is that I don't agree with the first part of that statement. And this brings me back to the, the will self false modesty yeah. thing. You know, you say you're really good at it. I don't think I am really good at it. I mean, I think I get away with it. I But I don't think I am really good at it. I mean, I've, I've you know, look, I take film criticism really seriously. I really want to be good at it. I don't think I am. Um, and, you know, and as I said, then, you know, uh, Someone say, "Oh, well, that's that's just false modesty. That's just uh, you know, that's just oh, poor me. You know, oh, don't you know, blah blah blah." I wish it yeah. was. I, I I I do feel constantly that I know this thing you've talked about before, yeah. imposter syndrome. But mm. but but then again, I've had this conversation with so many people, and they they feel the same thing. So that's nothing special or unique about me feeling it. I mean, I. Uh, there's a, a colleague that I work with who uh, is a lot younger than me and um, is brilliant, brilliant. And uh, and she said to me, you know, I, you know, sometimes this kind of stuff really eats me up. And I said, you can, yeah, of course, this is this is, you know. I said, this. and she said, do you feel that? I mean, of course I feel. I've been, you know, I've you know, I've been doing this for you know decades, and I've, of course I feel it every week. I feel that, that I am about to bring the observer into such disrepute that it will have to close down. I can tell you, Mark, and, actually, um, so my yeah. early career was in journalism. I started in local news. I literally did close a newspaper. So oh, what, I, <laughs> what, did, what did you do? I, I worked for the Uckfield Courier, and I was uh, the reporter on the Uckfield patch. And when I left, I went to the Seven Oaks Chronicle, which is part of the same uh, Courier group after about a year. Um, the circulation had got so low at the Uckfield Courier that they just closed that edition and merged it into the East Grinstead Courier. So, um, and I survived. I'm still here. So, but it, there was, it wasn't necessarily because you got you spelled candy wrong. <laughs> there was a there was a period in which um, I had this kind of thing that everywhere I worked at closed down. Um, right. that, mm. You know, but it wasn't. I've had that yeah, exactly. But then again, <laughs> yeah. I suppose statistically, everyone's yeah. had that. Anyway, but the yeah. but the the end point of that discussion is, in my opinion, everyone worth their salt is riddled with self-doubt yeah. because i think and i'll who's the person who has the least self-doubt of anyone in the world is probably donald trump who i think is yeah. literally yeah. the devil yeah. and i think is Agreed. about is about to destroy the world because he doesn't hear anything other than the sound yeah. of his own voice mm. and i 
um, there are people who are brilliant and, uh, you know, if you read about Orson Welles, you know, Orson Welles was once asked, how did you become so brilliant? That was basically the question. How did you become Orson Welles? And he said, you know, my parents always told me I was brilliant. I just believed them. And I thought, what, what an incredible combination that you think you're brilliant and you actually are. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. that is that is a really, yeah. really unique combination. Um, but most of the people I know who are a bro broadcasters, I mean, Simon Mayer, who's clearly the best broadcaster in the country, if not the world, mm. you know, always, you know, was that OK? Mm. Was it all right? You know, yeah. there's a famous story that David Letterman, I'm not comparing myself to any of these people, incidentally, that I, I'm just saying that the, even these people have this... David Letterman, apparently, when he used to leave the the station at the end of every show, he'd go, I'll be better tomorrow. Wow. And he didn't mean it like, I'll be yeah. better tomorrow. He meant, I'm sorry, yeah. I'll be better tomorrow. Yeah. And um, but, but, you know, my my mum was a GP and um, we lost her fairly recently and uh, I was very close to her. And she, 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 she used to say this thing that really stuck with me. She said, the more you know about medicine the more you realize how much you don't know about medicine. And her whole uh, philosophy in life was that knowledge is really understanding what you don't yeah. know. When I started out as a film critic, I had no idea what I was doing and I was quite confident about it because I didn't know any better. Then suddenly you realize, oh, you know, there were films that weren't necessarily made in your lifetime. The history of cinema did not begin with the towering inferno. <laughs> and end with what you saw at the ABC last week. And yeah. and then you suddenly go, oh, well, I should probably discover about the world of, <gasps> you know, and then you have this massive intake of breath because you go, I'm never, I'm ne never going to get up to speed. When with I was a stuff. kid, I loved, I mean, me and my brother loved Towering Inferno. It seemed to be on ITV every weekend, but we loved, we weren't really allowed to watch it, but we film. loved it. I went to see the Towering Inferno three times uh, in the same week at the ABC Turnpike Lane, and I, I just, it was just, I yeah. just loved it. I was a big Owen Allen fan, you know. I liked, I liked a, I liked a good disaster movie, but um, but yeah. So th that was, you know, that thing about the more you know, the more you realise what you don't know. And mm. you know, my mum was a brilliant GP, and um, uh, after she died, we had messages from people who I hadn't even known that she'd been their doctor it was really moving it was very very moving saying you know she was my doctor and she was a brilliant and she was you know that was what she was her whole life she was a doctor and uh, you know um uh she loved it but she she was very sure of the more you know the more you know you don't yeah. know and I yeah. I do think that that's that that's that that is true actually and I I have a slight um I don't trust anyone who thinks they absolutely know something. I don't trust anyone who, would, who doesn't, ha who isn't doubting, really. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or anyone who claims to be a stable genius in any way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he is, the, I think he is Satan. Um, yeah, I think I, 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 genu I genuinely think he is like the actual embodiment of evil. Yeah. I think it's terrible. And actually one of the things that causes me great anxiety at the moment is, the spectre of it. I think it's. I think it's so poisonous and toxic for the world that he is in the position that he's in. Yeah. I think raising, you know, raising the level of debate in a world in which that, you know, in which Agent Orange is sitting there spewing this these lies and this vulgarity and this 
aggression and chauvinism and racism and just this bilious poison. I mean, I just want mm, him to be yeah. gone. I just want to stop because I think it's toxic. I think it's absolutely toxic. And I, I find, I do find that, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not alone in this. This is not a unique feeling. I'm sure that, I mean, I'm, mm. you know, uh, a member of my band, Mike is, is American and I'm sure he feels it much more acutely than I do. Mm. Um, uh, and I, I have friends in America and everything, but yeah, no, I just, I just think that it's just bilious and ugly and vile and, soul destroying yeah. and i just you know but as tom hanks said you know this too shall mm. pass and uh and and it shall yeah i heard an interesting thing today actually someone was saying about uh that's a great american saying america is great because america is good and how trump has changed it from america is great because america is powerful yeah and that whole idea around the the idea that it's it's, it's about power and it's not about the greater good it's about you know no i mean every, everything about him is masochistic yeah everything about him is just sheer venality and actually everything about the republican party now i mean you know whereas i think it was perfectly possible before to have respect for democrats and republicans alike i think it is important to have respect across the political divide i do think that they have become trump's poodles and i think that you know the mitch mcconnell's and the lindsey grahams mm. of this world i just you know ugh. Anyway, anyway, I remember anyway, when everyone sure was worried about Mitt yeah, Romney we'll possibly winning, and now Trump makes Mitt Romney look like fucking JFK. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's. I know, I know. So anyway, any, anyway, anyway, as uh, Simon May, as Simon May always says, just don't give it headspace. Mm. So you know, yeah, yeah so. exactly, exactly. Uh, going back to that thing you were saying, though, I think about about care. I think it's about caring yeah. in some ways. You you care about the things you're doing, you know. And I'm not saying you don't care about music, but I'm just saying, I think particularly possibly with the you know, with the, the writing and the critiquing, I think it's probably... Compassion. You know, you care about getting it right. And I think it's that, you know, it's being... All those other, you know, everything that comes along with those, that feeling of care, you know, is sort of embodied in that, you know, that feeling of anxiety. I okay, but, here, but here's the thing, Giles, about that, is that I care about the music, but it's just, it mm. just gives me joy. You know, it just, it just gives me nothing but joy. I mean, I love going to the cinema. I love watching films that I always have done. Mm. I find writing about it painful. But oh, poor, poor me! Look at me! I've got a job, and how I'm, I'm being. This is why I keep saying I've got nothing to complain about. Doesn't mean I won't complain. But you really, yeah. really, you know, film journalists are absolutely struggling, having a very hard time at the moment. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, uh, your traditional film journalists or bloggers or whatever, everyone is having a hard time of it. But um, but music has just is just. I, I've never found it anything other than an absolute joy. It re I mean, I the thing that I found hardest about lockdown is we haven't played a gig in six yeah. months. Yeah. Since since I was a teenager, I've never gone six months without playing a gig. Never. I mean, it just hasn't happened. I've wherever I go, I form a band and we play. I always have this thing that you know, look, three songs. That's fine. That's enough. Get up. You know, we'll we'll, we'll figure the rest of it out. How hard can it be? Blues in E. Watch me for the changes. Try and keep up. It's not <laughs> yeah. that difficult. Okay. Um, but we haven't played. We had to cancel everything. You know, obviously, like everybody yeah. else did. And um, you know, it's it's just weird not playing. It's it's. I feel like you know, some people are sporty and they go to the gym. And if they don't go to the gym for a week, they feel mm. bad. You know. If I don't play music, I feel bad. Um, I don't mm. care whether it's... I mean, I 
I like it to sound good and actually I've always been really lucky because I've always surrounded myself with other people that can play you know we're it's always wise decision really wise <laughs> find other people who can play and then play bass yeah. you know that's just that's <laughs> the way to do it um, and I you know I love the Dodge Brothers I love the way we sound I'm really proud of it but I just I actually need to be playing and I, it drives me nuts that I'm not um, because it just feels really unnatural that's the thing actually that, that I have you know that 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 does make me kind of i just live music is such a great experience and everything that's happening at the moment i know there are much more important things to worry about and i know people you know i know people have been through really difficult times with covid and we and you must never not you what i must never forget just how lucky you know i've been uh through all of this i have kept working i have been able to keep working and i've you know and and uh but uh, but yeah, yeah, not playing it just does your head in after a while. Yeah, agreed. No, I, I have to say, well. um, Mark, yeah. I'm actually quite inspired about the way you talk about music because I think I struggle to find enjoyment in pretty much everything I do, be it work stuff, fun <laughs> stuff. So I, football is my. I guess equivalent to your music and I, I love playing football yeah, but I feel yeah. very judged on the pitch if I play badly or do a bad pass and I go home and I beat myself up so even even my fun sure. thing I struggle to find enjoyment in. so I think it is really nice that you have found this thing that you really can do freely and, and just enjoy because some people like me don't, don't really have that in anything I, I think it's something I mean I think there is something unique about playing music not just listening to music but playing music I mean of course you know in the past, everybody would have played or sung. You know, there's this whole thing with um, Terence... I don't know whether you know Terence Davis's films, but there's a mm. lot of song in Terence Davis's films. There's a lot of people sitting in pubs singing songs or sitting around at home singing songs. And this is something that, that has gone away a little bit. There used to be... Um, you know, you, I mean, in the days before television, whatever it was, obviously people would get together and, you know, parliament, somebody would play the piano, somebody would sing a song, everybody would get up and do a recital, somebody would do something, right? But the thing about singing songs together, although I'm, even as I'm saying this, I'm aware that if you're a football fan, I've never been to a football match, but I know that people sing songs on the yeah. terrace. And I know, yeah. I know that people say, well, it's songs and songs, but it doesn't matter. It's communal yeah. singing, right? Communal singing is communal singing, right? Um, there is a thing about... Um, not feeling that your song is a performance what it is is a joining yeah. in so if somebody says can you sing a song and you go well no because you think you can't hold a tune what you're actually thinking is i'm singing the song as a performance to you i'm showing off but actually what it should be is just start singing a song and we'll all because we like mm. the song and there is that thing about s s singing or playing music has become more performative than mm. it used to be it used to be Agreed. something that you just did because it because it was it you know everyone was doing it. It wasn't like oh that guy's playing guitar or that guy's playing fiddle or that guy's playing whatever. It was the music was being played. I know I'm painting a hobbity picture of a kind of you know imagine this is like the you know how many folk singers does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> yeah. You know that. So, but but it has become much more performative now, and that is a slightly that puts a, a pressure on it that shouldn't yeah. be there. If you're in a in a room where there's a piano and you can play yeah. chopsticks, what's to stop you playing chopsticks? Well, because other people might judge you. Yeah. I don't care. I mean, you know, if I can't play it very well, I mean, believe me, I've played enough things in public not very well. Um, but I don't. I just. I. I have. I just. I mean, it's weird actually. Now as I'm saying it, it actually sounds slightly unbalanced. But I just don't have any. 
I'm ju- it's the one area in which I'm pretty much always happy. Although I was terrified before I went on stage at the Royal Philip at the where it was well, the festival yeah, well, hall. That's fair. I was terrified. <laughs> I was genu- genuinely scared um, to the point that I was actually throwing up. Wow. But I, oh, were you? Yeah. But yeah. I did it. You know. Yeah. And then afterwards, uh, afterwards, uh, I, I got away with it. And afterwards, I went to the bar and sank two very large Jack Daniels. And five minutes later, I was talking to Robert Ziegler about how I was going to do it again. <laughs> well, I think that's good. Charles. Uh, I think that's important, isn't it? That to have that sorry, to have one thing where you can be just un, unabashedly happy at doing, and especially at the moment, we've talked about you know a few minutes ago about why a lot of people have anxiety in the world at the moment with what's happening politically. If you can have one thing that you can just do, just so happy. Yeah, having an outlet, I think, as well. I think having an outlet, and music's always been an outlet for me as well. I mean, you know, an emotional outlet and, you know, like you say, just that fun thing. Being with a group of guys in a room bashing out a song is, you know, it's a pretty joyous thing. Um, I think, yeah. No, I agree with you. And that's where the whole skiffle thing comes from because, you know, like when the bottlers were first going, you know, Al, who's our washboard player, is, you know, she's a, Al's a force of nature. She, she can literally pick up a washboard and you actually don't need any other instruments because Al will fill the room. And one of the weird things is, in the Royal Town Bottlers, I was in a, a band with a washboard player who's called Al. I'm now in a band with a washboard player called Al. <laughs> They're not the same person, obviously. Um, uh, but it's just all washboard players in my head are called Al. But there it, there is that thing about, I mean, Al, Bottlers Al, would go everywhere with a washboard because at the drop of a hat she'd get she'd pull the washboard out she'd start playing it and everybody would join yeah. and it's that joining in thing that i really like that's mm-hmm. what i really like the kind of you know you're not you're not you're not doing this for you're not showing it, it it's yeah. for everybody to for everybody to do yeah that's lovely yeah going back to films yeah. what what was what was your first kind of uh foray into well what was the what was the first film you saw in the cinema let's go back that far first film i remember seeing in the cinema was krakatoa east of java whether it was actually the first film i saw in the cinema i don't know it's the first film i remember, you remember. yeah and i was absolutely just you know jaw dropped by it and um and actually when i was writing it's only a movie some time ago I'd only ever seen krakatoa east of java once my mum took me to see it at um it must have been the ABC Edgeware or something. And I, I saw it and I just knocked out, but I never saw it again. So I had a version of it in my head. And then when I was writing It's Only a Movie, I decided to go back and watch it again. And I got a DVD of it. And it was the strangest thing because I'd only, I only remembered two things in the film. And actually those two things were in the film, but in a very different way to the way that I remembered. Oh, okay. So it was one of those really strange, you know, the uncanny that genuinely uncanny thing when something is like you remember it but not like you remember it you know it's like what's that phrase mm. you know yeah 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 nothing was so natural that, that these things were exactly were, were, should absolutely be the things they absolutely were not you know whatever that thing is from innocence or turn the script whatever it's it's that uncanny feeling of watch seeing something you know it's like the thing when, when you go and visit a place that you've seen on a movie like if i go when i went to georgetown to the place where the exorcist was filmed it's the same, mm. but it's not the same. And if you if, if you ever go to somewhere where you've seen it in a movie and then you see the actual thing, it's the same, but it's not the same. It's not just that, oh, it may be different. They may have built it's, but it's different because it's not in the film. And I, I, I actually really like that uncanniness. It's a strange, it's a strange thing walking into when we're doing the Blade Runner documentary, walking around some of those locations 
they are the same but they're not the same you know it's and i like that tension i really enjoyed that but yeah krakatoa east of java was the thing that made me think i just want to spend the rest of my life in the cinema is it were your parents into movies and stuff as well no not so much i mean my my dad had my dad actually had a weirdly um uh broad range of movies that he'd seen i mean he was I, which I didn't know about till years later. He started talking to me about Ingmar Bergman. I said, "When did you see Ingmar Bergman?" He said, "Oh yeah, oh, I, went, I went and see all of them." Oh, really? <laughs> and um, you know, Seventh Seal and yeah, you know, it's it's weird. He was actually a lot more cine. We never really talked about cinema. My my mum wasn't mm. particularly interested in it. Um, dad, my dad was very sporty. He was a rugby player, and um, so we never really talked about it until later on. And I said, "I suddenly had this conversation with my dad." He said, "Yeah, yeah, I saw all all the Bergmans." I mean, did you? How, how have we never had this yeah, conversation but you know it was yeah but it was just no film was the thing that i did it was you know i but i mean like i said my mum took me to see krakatoa east of java so so she must have you know she must have had some interest in it so uh but it was it it wasn't ever really a topic of conversation that was my thing that was mm. you know mark does that you know johnny does sport yeah. it was it was a thing i think we all need our thing don't we i think that especially when you're young as well it's important to have almost becomes an identity in a way sometimes yeah and the great thing is i have a brother and a sister my brother is younger my sister is older and we get on incredibly well i mean incredibly well and the reason i think is that we never we've never competed with each other because we've got completely yeah. different interests mm. even when we were kids we were like we just it, we're almost like not from the same family and it was great because we never had that thing about competing with yeah. each other you know if you've got two sporty people in a family it's like you know I don't know how you'd ever get beyond the thing about the competition yeah. thing, but we never did. And I'm, you know, and my, I'm, I get on really well with my brother and say, okay, I'm actually, you know, yeah, I mean, I get on very well with my family as it happens, but I get on very, very, very well with my brother and sister. They're lovely. And one of the reasons that we, we don't have arguments really is that we, we just don't do the same thing. We completely different areas. Yeah. That's nice. If you've got that, that dynamic. Yeah, think, it is. Yeah. So it's very similar with my brother. We don't, completely chalk and cheese but it, it works well you know? my yeah, brother yeah, was absolutely. much better than me at football and it still annoys me to this day yeah you, you see, <laughs> but i understand that you see i absolutely understand that you know it's like the williams tw uh, yeah. sisters um, i mean williams yeah yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, the tennis players yeah. they end up playing each other yeah. in the finals you go how does that i just i mean it's not the tennis it's how does the psychology yeah. of that work yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah Wow, yeah, got to be tough for that. Got to be tough for that. Yeah. So you kind of became sort of ravenous for movies, what you know, and and that was a kind of, I guess, that was a sort of door opening for you. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I, you know, I, the two things that I always wanted to do was I wanted to watch films and I wanted to be a pop star. I want those; those were the two things I wanted to do. And then that became from you know, I want to watch films and I want to play music. Once I discovered that it actually was possible to play things, and um, at the risk of sounding like the smuggest human being on earth which i know this is and smug is a word which is very often applied to me um it, i i do that is what yeah. i've done i do do those two things i mean it's more out of chance and good luck than than anything else but that is what i've that is what i've done and i do love it and i you know i remember alan jones you know my, my great mentor in film criticism saying I think it may have been John Waters who said, no, John Waters said he was not obsessed is not alive. And Alan Jones said, make your obsession your profession. And I remember thinking that's, you know, that's really good. That's really good advice. And, um, and I have been really, really lucky. I mean, really lucky. 
Um, and believe me, nobody is more aware of that than I am because I, I know how incompetent I am. Um, and, uh, you know, I have, <laughs> there's a, there's a kind of weird thing, isn't it? That every now and then you go, you know, that David Burns song, you know, how did I get here? But in that kind of, how did I get here? Like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, how did I get here? I have completely the opposite. I, how did I, how did I get here? <laughs> I mean, literally, how did I get here? I'm nearly 60. I have spent my life playing music and watching films. I married the woman of my dreams. I have kids who I seem to get on with. And I like my brother and sister. I, you know, how did I get here? I don't understand it because it's it can be nothing other than, than you know, luck and... and, and uh, well, luck, really, you know, that's, that's, that, that's it. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, I am nothing but grateful. I am nothing but grateful. Well, it's, imp it, this comes up a lot on the podcast, doesn't it, Charles? It's important to have gratitude. I think that it's, it's grounding, I think, to, to, to be thankful if, if you're lucky enough to have success and love and, you know, a happy life. Well, yeah. And I think that the thing about, um, you know, if you can, uh, if you, if, if, you, the, oh, this sounds so trite. Honestly, it sounds like a greeting card, but it's like, it, it, you know, if you are, if you are, if you are, if you can be close to your family, but and if you have good friends, and I have been really blessed with good friends. I mean, really blessed with good friends. This goes back to where we started with the bands thing, you know. Mm. Um, like I said, just the last weekend, I was with Matt and Simon, you know, both of whom I was with it, with bands decades mm. apart both of whom I consider to be family and who are, you know, who I love and I will always love because I was in bands with them. I have, you know, friends like Nigel Floyd and, you know, who there was a, you know, there was people used to joke about us being joined at the hip, which is funny because we're very, very different people, very different people. But, um, you know, we were just together recently. We were staying somewhere together and, uh, and it's, you know, and I was just sitting there thinking, you know I, I i always wanted to have friends this good but i never thought i would mm. you know particularly when i was younger at school i was kind of difficult and awkward and i do think i've you know that thing about having 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 good friends is just a real privilege it is an it is a real privilege and um and i do and, and actually the thing that i'm getting better at is being aware of it at mm. the time so thinking i'm sitting here having a glass of wine with Nigel and this is great and actually thinking it at the moment that it's happening um which is something that you you know you, that I've had to sort of that, I, that I've grown into <laughs> but uh but yeah yeah um as I said at the beginning of um of how does it feel you know to everyone I've ever been in a band with thank you and sorry Ah. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, it, do you know what, Mark? It's been our privilege to uh, let's see this <laughs> what a link. broadcasty way. That was great. Yeah, that, was really, that. <laughs> that was really. That was really. You're going to hit the four o'clock news deadline. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has. It's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Today. No, thank you, um, thank you. And I mean, no, no, and, it, and I should say that you know your your constantly upbeat presence on Twitter. Mm. Um, I saw a thing recently that you said that you'd, you'd, you'd had some negativity recently. And I, I actually felt kind of wounded because you're such a, a positive presence. Oh, well, thank you. On what is, you know, quite often a, 
quite often not yeah. you know not the not the world not the greatest place it's no surprise that it's the chosen method of communication for you know the yes. tiny handed <laughs> cheeto face shit given <laughs> is it it's not you know it's like um but they it is it is really nice that what you that what you do is constantly like let's accentuate mm. the positive and i do think that's a that's a really good i don't know i don't know what it was that you're referring to when you said i've i've encountered some negativity and i'm glad i don't know i don't want to know i just think good for you for doing what you do and you know oh well thank you mark that that really means a lot honestly um and yeah i, I mean i generally just trying to put a, put a bit of light in this uh dark mm. world that we're living in so <laughs> Well, if I, I can, if I can, and I'm just, I'm just sorry that about the, the football rivalry thing, but I do understand your pain. I do understand that thing about you saying, you know, being out on the pitch and worrying that you're not playing well enough or having a, you know, a relative who plays better than you. I mean, I like that, that now is going to haunt me tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to be lying in bed thinking about what that must be like, because that's exactly what I you know, I yes, I I get it, I get it completely. I don't understand football, but yeah. what you said, I get absolutely. Yeah. Well, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I I, I was going to. Sorry, sorry Mike. I interviewed um many many years ago. I interviewed Woody Allen, and um he uh and he he said this thing. I think he just turned sixty, and I I said, um, "Are you happy?" And he said, "No." course i'm not happy and and i said why he said he said this thing he said um he said well i hate to tell you this but the older you get the more you realize that when you die you're not losing that much <laughs> and i just thought wow wow Ooh. wow that's a gut punch <laughs> and actually actually one of the things that i've learned over the years is that's just yeah, not yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, I don't know where that came from, but uh, now I was going to say, I don't know, maybe Woody was having a bad day. <laughs> to be fair, his last few movies have been pretty pissful. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. well. Hey. Anyway, so but uh, you know. Well, no, I was going to ask you about this. Right, I'm holding oh, yeah. up this book, right? Yeah. Charlie Kaufman's Ant Kind, yeah. which I've spoken to you on Twitter about. Yeah. Um, because uh, obviously he has a little. A little dig at you in it yeah and i guess critics in general i mean how how do you feel about critics being criticized i mean you obviously take you know is it part of the course is it yeah. come with the territory or Charles, listen. does it hurt sometimes yeah. okay whether it hurts or not doesn't make any difference you cannot be a critic and expect not to catch flack nobody becomes a critic because they want to be liked and if you do you're in the wrong job okay over the course of my profession and my whatever it is, uh, so you know, in in Ankind, Charlie Kaufman calls me an asshole. Um, uh, Paul Schrader said that I'm not fit to. I'm not the kind of person who should be not a fit person to pass judgment on anybody. I really like Paul Schrader's films for some of them anyway. I really like some of Charlie Kaufman's films. Uh, Danny mm. Dyer has threatened to physically assault me more times oh, than God. I can remember. You know, if I ever see him, I'll put something across his canister. I'll break his nose and blah 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 blah. Um, you know, I, it, I, I, I've, I've had it. It's just, it's really no big deal. And you know why it's no big deal? Because firstly, you can't do this job if you took that stuff. To, I'm not saying none of it hurts, but what I'm saying is, you, mm. you have got no right to, to, uh, to be able. You could, you know, you can do what you want, but you, you, you know, 
anyone has any right to, to think what they th what they think you know charlie kaplan thinks i'm an asshole fine fine it's fine i still think you know eternal sunshine spots mine is one of my favorite movies of all time um and he may well make another thing i think he's a genius as i've said uh, you know said many times it's 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 perfectly fine i don't like it but whether i like it or not isn't the point and it and i think the same applies the other way around but um you know uh when i was at school many you know when i was a kid this, this sounds like a subject, but when I was at school, I was bullied quite badly at one period in my life, you know, when I was young. I came out the other end of it, and it's just like, yeah, after that, everything is a piece of cake. I mean, people tell you, oh, school day's the best day. No, they're not. You know, you can feel isolated and pained and, and bullied in school in a way that you'll never feel yeah, in the whole of I the agree. rest of your life. And I all always think when something like you know oh this you know i mean i really like charlie kaufman he thinks i'm an animal. fine you know do i like it not particularly is it a problem no because you know what it's not as bad as that time that me and Stuart, what's it you know it, it, you know that was really horrible and painful i was a weedy little school kid with a stupid name and i got the crap kicked out of me a couple of times and that's and after that nothing will ever get under your skin in the way that it will when you're a kid it's it's boot camp for the soul yeah i mean i don't recommend it but what i would say to anyone who is uh you know uh young or uncertain or you know feeling worthless or you know self-loathing and doubt and all those things is mm. believe me it gets better and and people who tell you that school days are the best years of your life should be mm. put in prison for saying those things because <laughs> if, if school days were the best days of your life you, you'd think this is it this is, no <laughs> that's a lie right that's just not true everything gets yeah. better everything gets better and all that pain and anguish and everything you feel it will go away and you'll in the end you'll look back on it and treasure it because you'll go it'll never be like that again now you know that's it. I'm massively oversimplifying, and I, and I'm you know, but what I'm saying is the traumas of childhood are, are you know, are, are very different. I think just I just I think it's really important that, that uh, we don't tell kids that these are the best days of your life because that just mm. seems to be mad to me. I agree. Yeah, no, totally agree. Totally agree. Well, Mark, we normally end the podcast by asking our guests for their for their advice on blank moments but i think actually that last little segment that you yeah, were saying about that i think that is yeah. actually quite perfect really and i think we can all take take quite a lot from that actually well what do you know i got profound by accident <laughs> <laughs> that is a good title for a book yeah. profound by accident no i got profound by accident <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but um but I do mean it. I do genuinely mean it. it things yeah. get better. Things get absolutely get better. And and I, you know, and I uh, and I do mean that. Uh, not just as a, but it genuinely they do. And no matter how you know tortured and self doubting and all the rest of it you feel, it'll get better. And uh, and people that people that tell you otherwise just don't know what they're talking about. I totally agree. Yeah, unless you're Woody <laughs> Allen. <of course>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they spiral downhill <laughs> towards death <laughs> oh mark it's been honestly it's been an absolute treat i mean i've wanted to get you on the podcast since we started two years ago so it's it's a 
honestly it's a real yeah. treat thank to you have so you much. On, so thank you so much well, thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it and no, um, no, i feel like oh, a public service announcement uh, that also if, yes. you, if you've enjoyed this podcast then why not check out kermit hey. on Film, which is also yeah, definitely. A, a popular <laughs> podcast uh, that you can check out i remember i i, I think i i remember i do have to say that i did say to <laughs> the person, my manager, I said, I'm doing, it. Said, I don't know anything about that. I said, no, what I'm doing is to just mention, mention Kermit on film, all right? So yeah. attend with a public service announcement, Kermit on film. We'll definitely put it in the show. <laughs> <notes>. <laughs> and, <laughs> and of course, the yes. wonderful entertainment yes. which you do with Simon May on Radio Yeah, but that is, all, is, that is all down to Simon. Yeah. That is the genius of that thing is down to him. So, you know, so. Oh, and I his book, equal, his book equal. is available <laughs> in all good bookstores. It's called Knife Edge. It's uh, 12 Yes, he's written a, oh, wow, he's yeah. written a thriller, hasn't he? Page Turner, uh, twelve ninety nine, yeah. five pounds in some supermarkets, and uh, so well, if you see Simon, he's welcome to come Absolutely. on and plug it himself. I, I, I never knowingly <laughs> undersold. I will definitely yeah. pass it on to him. Thank you, Mark. Right, Thanks so much. Mark. So, Thank you so much. I mean, was I unfair to say legend? I don't think that's unfair at all, is it? No, no, I think... What an incredible man. What a great episode. I mean, I thought he was a legend before speaking to him, and I think he's even more of a legend now after speaking to him. So wonderful. And it was so lovely to hear all the music stories. And I I really empathise with a lot of that stuff, having played in bands for years, and the idea that, you know, you meet these people, you hang around with them in bands, and you just meet those people that are friends for life. Mm. I think that's lovely. I agree, and and you know that's those are facts that can be shared across many things. You know, everyone knows I'm really into football, and I think it's the same sort of thing. I'm, I met my best friends through Crystal Palace, and I met, I met my best friend Rob over a copy of the Croydon Advertiser, which is more romantic than it than it sounds. But um, it's a similar it's a similar idea, isn't it? These shared interests become these things that bond you for life. Absolutely, yeah. And Mark was just Mark's obviously got you know he's a very very experienced broadcaster and has obviously got a lovely way of saying things and is very mm. always interesting to listen to so yeah mm. thank you so much mark i think i probably didn't say at the beginning of the in the top but mark is someone that i really admire and, and i've wanted to get on the podcast for a long time so is it actually a real real treat to have him on so it's one of those bucket list guests that mm. have been able to tick off so thank you definitely. so much mark it's uh definitely been brilliant to talk to you and he was just a, just a brilliant guest i would say charles worth the wait to get on yes because he was absolutely. just fantastic and another person we have this lot on this pod and we're very lucky that's just an absolute pleasure to talk yes. to interesting insightful and just really nice and funny so I mean, nice and now so we say this and you know we talk to obviously we have brief conversations off air uh, sometimes we have longer ones but you know it's generally quite brief especially at the moment with zoom we're kind of having these awkward moments when we're setting up and all the mutes on we got to press that you know, it's all a bit awkward but genuinely everyone has been so lovely mm. so um yeah i can't speak highly enough of all our guests that have been on on blank but yeah it's particularly mark he was great superb right well that ends this week's episode um we've done the tweets we've done the can uh, i just Twitter ask you a question call out. is the coin advertiser still going no i don't think it oh no it is it is it is going i'm not sure i don't know mm. a lot of regional newspapers have gone there was a guy in seaford who took me to my first few games the palace and he often used to 
he was retired and he used to take his wife on journeys and they had a dog and they'd go and they'd often go up as far as Croydon mm. on, on a weekday and they would always pick up the Friday copy of the Croydon Advertiser because it had all the palace news in it. See? So then yep. they'd bring it back and I could read it. Yeah, Croydon Advertiser, that, that's how Rob and I met because obviously we're both palace fans. So it, mm. was, it was the, you know, I'm talking early 2000s. It was the place for palace news. Um, but I think it's been merged or I don't know. But loads of local newspapers are, are folded on fo- <laughs> folded, not an inten- intentional pun. Um, so uh, I don't know what's happened to it. But um, yeah, it was. It, we were in Oxted in Surrey, so we were, I would say, on the edge of their readership zones. Yeah. But um, it was the well, place for uh, for palace sad, news. That, that's sad to hear. I know local. We know. This is going off completely. I might be wrong. If, if you local... work at the Croydon Advertiser, yeah, apologies if I've just sacked you. <laughs> let us know if you're still going. But I think the general local news is is um, is sort of dying a death, and it's a real shame because they're really at the heart of the community. A lot of these newspapers. So that's indeed, a, that's a bigger story. We should talk about another time. But anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we've had a, we had we've had an email. We've had an email. Shall we, read, shall we read the email out? Yeah, we have got an email, Jim. It's a really good email. Shall I read it out? Please do. This, okay. this, is, a, this is a belter. <laughs> Hello, Giles and Jim. Well, chaps, I thought I would make the effort and send you an email. You might regret asking because without the restraint of Twitter, I could be inclined to ramble for hours. <laughs> First of all, a huge thank you for continuing to do these podcasts. I don't listen to many different podcasts. I've stumbled upon yours due to listening to FYP, which is, of course, Jim's mm-hmm. podcast. Very, very good. Make sure you subscribe. As a long-suffering Palace fan, other favourites are the Adrift podcast with Jeff Lloyd and Annamel Port and some music production pods. I've dabbled with some others, but overwhelmingly, they seem to be all about the presenters. I think oh. the secret of your show is that you let your guests go where they want. This so often reveals the very human elements of people and allows us all to be eavesdroppers, to really connect with them. Mm. Being completely honest, I don't always identify with all the guests, but out of the 82, I'd say the vast majority have been wonderful and fascinating. (laughs) He's actually highlighted some of his favourite episodes, um, Jim. Uh, Wim Hof, Madman and Life Guide. Oh, yes. Kelly Holmes, Inspirational. Yes. Reece Shearsmith, Genius. Agreed. Uh, Caroline Lucas, Voted Green, Don't Tell My Employer. Uh, <laughs> Julia Bradbury, also in love with Amanda Abington and Susie Dent. So all good, all good ones there. Great so, episodes. Yeah, so that is a lovely, lovely email from Ian Waghorn. I think otherwise known as Waggers. Good old Waggers. I think Waggers has contacted us on Twitter before. He has, yeah, he has. He goes on his email to sort of suggest future episodes and stuff, and and you know, and themes. And we would love to hear other people's suggestions for future guests, future episodes. And it's so nice to get an email from from Ian. Um, mm. And it's yeah, I know yeah, Ian already so from the much, FYP yeah. family, so I do appreciate him supporting Blank and supporting FYP. And Giles, if other people want to uh, get in contact and let us know. Uh, bits of the pods they've enjoyed or just you know have a little ramble chat as uh, as Ian has done there which we love mm. um, receiving our email address is theblankpodcast2018 at gmail.com it is indeed and we would love to hear from you mm. um, you could also tweet us you can Instagram at... us is, is that a thing Instagram us I think Instagram's a verb um, or Facebook us 
Mm, I think they all work. Anyway, you can do any of those things at Blank Pod. Well, thank you so much for listening again, and we'll see you again next week on the Blank Pod. Bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.